Hello, I'm Simi Bowes. I'm very tired. <laughs> so are the team. Welcome to this week's Net Hero podcast. Well, what is there to say? The Big Zero show has come and gone. And the reason we're all so tired is because it was an enormous success. We had 1,500 delegates, another 500 sponsors. We had sessions galore, 40 different sessions. And you can tell I've slightly lost my voice because there's been a lot of talking going on. Great conversations, great speeches, great uh, technology revelations and lots and lots of brilliant networking. So my thanks to all of you who came. And if you didn't come, well, have a listen in to this podcast because we'll be going through some of the highlights. Now, the main thing about the Big Zero Show was not that it was all about, you know, just putting Net Zero out there because I think we pretty much know that. What it's really about, and our theme for this year and, and for next year in 24, is about Net Zero in action. And one of the things we've decided to do is make Coventry our home. So it was held at the Coventry Building Society Arena and we had the council there, which was brilliant. They had lots of people talking about what they were doing, the local Chamber of Commerce, and of course the Mayor of the West Midlands, Andy Street, who gave the headline session. Now, I talked to Mr. Street on stage and we discussed the priorities. And he said that, you know, in essence, there were three things that uh, they needed to do in that region, which was to get to net zero. They needed to decarbonize industry. They needed to decarbonize transport and to decarbonize domestic energy. And afterwards, um, he caught up with our reporter, Kieran, to actually sum up why net zero matters so much to him. What are your hopes going forward for net zero uh, sustainability and really the green agenda for the West Midlands, Coventry and the whole area? So I want us to be seen as a place that's leading in this. Many people would already say we are in terms of if you look at how our net zero plan is being implemented, not just talked about implemented here. If you think about the energy supply sector, not necessarily original production, but all the distribution, so much strength here. So I hope that in years to come, people will say the advantages we had, what we made of them, actually made this an exemplar place. Now, the Midlands isn't just famous for, obviously, all of the manufacturing that goes on, uh, particularly the huge automotive industry, but a lot of energy companies are based in and around the Midlands, which is another reason why we chose Coventry our base. And we had several energy companies at the event. Many big names were there, but there was some criticism, the fact that we'd invited companies like Centrica and Shell and Total Energies to be there. And even some people who were against EDF and what they stood for in terms of uh, nuclear. Now, these are all topics that we covered in the Big Zero lectures. We had chats on nuclear, we had chats about the sustainability uh, practices of uh, big oil and gas companies as they transition. But one of the major things was, um, you know, the role of gas itself. And John Butterworth, the CEO of National Gas, uh, gave a very impassioned speech about why he thought gas was the key technology we need to get us to net zero and the one that can be the most equitable, in particular when it comes to making sure that those who are on lower incomes don't miss out on this energy transition. So it's great to say, you know, let's electrify everything. And where we can do, of course, we should. Let's have far better insulation in homes. Let's 
do ultimately more than we're doing today, but 86% of all the houses that are going to be around in 2050 are already built. So how are we going to insulate them in a way that decent, hard-working families can afford to get on the net zero bandwagon and help out? It's important that we think about that. We have to give people choice. And we believe that there's got to be a blend. I think some families will have a hybrid solution of solar, heat pump, and when that's not working or it's really cold, a small gas boiler, whatever it is, we've got to find an answer. But for sure, hydrogen's going to have to play a part in that. Because if we have a really cold winter, and when I say really cold, I'm saying minus 4 degrees C and more, for more than four or five days, you know, we are going to need hydrogen if we're not going to use natural gas. Not just for electricity, but for industry uh, and the domestic population. And I think we've got to be really careful that in the domestic scene around net zero, that electrification solely without a balanced response using gas and then leaning into hydrogen means that it becomes the preoccupation of the wealthy and the privileged. And what we need is a big debate about the affordability, making sure we leave nobody behind. It cannot just be for the rich, electrification. And we make sure that whilst we do that, we've got security of supply for the United Kingdom and Ireland, because Ireland's fed off the UK, so that when we lean into net zero, we do it in a way that we take everybody with us. Now, John there spoke very passionately about kind of making it a just transition. I think that is vital. That's something I believe in. Um, and he also mentioned gas being, you know, the bridging fuel using hydrogen. Now, lots of people have different views about hydrogen. Many say that it's just too expensive to do. And one of the partner companies that was there was Centrica. And I caught up with uh, Jean-Yves Chirot. Uh, who gave a talk, actually, uh, at the show. And we discussed that exact point about how companies like his, Centrica, who want to be energy companies of the future, go about replacing fossil fuels. Replacing uh, fossil fuels is difficult uh, because they've got credentials and attributes which make them very easy uh, and very efficient form of energy. Um, and there's always, in my mind, four factors. It's about, can, can the alternative energy source pr be produced at scale everywhere? Can it be produced at a cost that is acceptable yeah. to the market? And is low carbon or zero carbon, ideally? And also, can it be produced and used so that it doesn't disturb significantly the existing operations? Absolutely, the investment in new kits and That's stuff right. like that. That's yeah. right. Uh, and so within these four factors, hydrogen has got a role to play. Uh, and has got the attributes and the credentials to meet most of the most of these criteria, and therefore will play a significant role, especially in the UK, because the UK is, is very uh, lucky in the way that it's got some some assets uh, which have been used for the natural gas, which can be reused for the storage of hydrogen and distribution of hydrogen as well, and therefore, from a security of supply and energy resilience from a country perspective, hydrogen will play a key role. Uh, it was the next few decades. Now, there are plenty of things for people to do, and we had an amazing plethora of activities, including the newest electric car that's on the market, a chance to play a game of crazy sustainable golf, 
and to catch an atom. That's right, you heard it first. Catch an atom in a weird nuclear box. You'd have to see it to believe it. Um, and there was lots of fun uh, parts of the, the show because we wanted to engage people. But there was also a lot of serious discussion about the pace and the pace of transition. And one of the things that seems to be a blocker, and it's been said many times, is the grid. So is the grid holding back our transition? In particular, is it holding back the ability for businesses to connect? Well, Claudia O'Hara was speaking and she's the president of the National Grid Energy Networks. And I put that point to her that many feel the grid at present isn't doing its job. I mean, the grid's the enabler, yeah? yeah. We're going to build all this offshore wind, 50 gigawatts by 2030. We're going to get lots of local distributed energy connecting to my electricity distribution networks. And connections need to happen. And they need to happen quicker for more volume. Um, and it's really important that we've now entered a really big debate in the UK about how to do that. Now, just to speak about electricity distribution here yeah. in the UK, um, we're connecting all the time, every day. We've got the demand connections, so you know, you've got your EV, you want a charger, and we've got to make that smoother and quicker. So in December, we launched our portal, yeah. uh, self-serve portal, and over 60% of people using that instantaneous connection, yeah? The big debate and, and change and reform that's needed is in the generation connections. Uh, we know the current way of getting a connection contract and queue management doesn't deal with the volume and the pace. Uh, projects need to connect when they're ready, not when they made their application. So there's lots of work to do to reform what we call queue management. But, but I do you, want to you've be- You've mentioned that, haven't yeah. you? You've actually said now that the grid's gonna look at, not the time, the application, but the need and the necessity. Absolutely, and so if I look at, again, my business, the distribution yeah. networks, the Energy Networks Association has now launched the three-point plan. Yeah. We've got to manage um, the projects to milestones in those connection agreements. It's really important to keep the rhythm of the project itself, the renewable project, meeting its milestones, getting closer to that connection date. Um, we've got to be innovative in the types of connection offers that we give. Um, we may need reinforcement on the network, but if a developer is willing to take a contract that occasionally constrains that volume off in order to connect, connect, get a connection day early, we need to make that happen. And that's what we're starting to do. We need to look at the type of technology that's connecting to the grid. A battery storage solution, that won't be full on exporting all the time. No. So we need to be smarter at modeling and then allow that connection to happen. But really the, the big queues, we've got to get the reform. Uh, people need to move up the queue when they're ready and projects that haven't met their milestones need to move back. And I think that's the bit where we've all got to really collectively work together on how to do that in a fair and equitable way. And that's a big part of the reform that's happening now across the sector, both at the transmission and the distribution level. Now, practicalities aside, grid connections, new fuels, uh, even different talks that we had about kind of raising funds. One of the fundamental things you've got to do is want to do this. You've got to want to transition to a cleaner technology. You've got to make your company shift. Why should you do that? Well, we all know the reasons. How can you do that? Well, that's different. 
And one of the most packed out sessions we had was with Juliet Davenport, the current president of the Energy Institute and of course, the founder of Good Energy. And I asked her, as we sat down after her speech, to nail what it is that a business can do to make sure they can get their staff and their direction of travel going the right way. For a business that's listening to this or watching this, uh, what's your easiest win to try and do something a bit cleaner and greener? Actually, I think it's to empower your employees to do it. So I think give them the tools, the information, a bit of training yeah. and let them go off and be creative go and I mean the, the reason I wrote the green startup is that it's got some really practical things that anybody could pick up that book and go oh I can change the way I'm doing my job and embed get get sustainability embedded in the thinking because one of the things that I come across time and time again is that I, I recently was at another organization looking at their new branding and they had lots of um, oil flares on it. Just part of the brand. It's like, why have you got no wind turbines at all? It's like, you know, 43% of our energy now comes from renewables. And you haven't got it represented in here at all. Um, so I think it's, it's, that's where I see the gap is that um, people who know about this, this area, people yeah. who know about sustainability know, but everybody else doesn't think it's anything to do with them. Yeah. And that's the thing businesses can change. What a day of activities we had. Many, many different places to go, all under one roof. You could travel forward in time. You could look back in the history of energy. You could discuss cybersecurity. And I suppose the best thing to do is leave the last few words to the delegates who came, who were from very different worlds, from around the world as well, which was brilliant, and who all took something different away from the show. I think it's so interesting what everyone's doing for Net Zero and trying to get to Net Zero and I think that's really, really good and seeing what efforts being made. Also learning from other people and seeing what we can do and take away from it. I listened to a really interesting talk about biomass all around uh, obviously harvesting and burning wood which is a bit of a bit of a no-no in, in general perception terms so it was actually good to listen to an academic who was putting forward quite a quite a powerful uh, argument around biomass the last talk i just was at was around nuclear and that's got a lot of perception challenges as well but the lady did a really good job putting forward a strong argument for the energy density that's produced from a much smaller footprint than wind and and solar, for instance. It's amazing to see the blend of solutions and possibilities that are available with utilities and energy service providers in the UK. A lot of my customers are sourcing power from many of these organizations that I see here, and I'm so thrilled to know that they offer renewables, mix and match of solutions, which can be helping their end customers to reach net zero. Uh, it's just the opportunity, really, to, to have a bit of time, speak to some people, just actually over lunch having a chat with um, some of the other attendees uh, and sharing ideas and contacts that hopefully will stand me in good stead going forward as well. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I hope you'll be back uh, for sure next year. We'll be back on the 2nd and 3rd of July with an extra day, a day dedicated to skills uh, and young people because I think retraining is going to be a very big part of where we go. And I think it's got to be said that, you know, although the Big Zero show is a big huge event net zero is something that has to happen every day of the week and i'm glad you're listening to the podcast i'm glad you're getting involved in the event and please let us know what 
we can do to make things better. There'll be a big few changes coming up in the autumn with uh, the launch of Future Net Zero Learning, which I sort of showcased very briefly, a sneak peek at the show, but more of that to come. I'll leave you now as I definitely need a bit of a lie down. We'll catch you next week, but remember, keep subscribing. And if you need to tell us about your net zero story, I'm always here to listen. Until the next time, see you later.